Have you subscribed to the OTB Football Podcast? You think that there's a good chance, I suspect, that Antonio Conte is the man. Tottenham finish second. Ooh. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. Morris Brosnan of the 42. Morris, evening. Joe, how are we? Yeah, very well. So it was pretty clear they were a group that did not want to be one-hit wonders, both uh, in the comments from Monica and Stacey and, and then just everything that the team has said over the last uh, couple of days. And uh, really, you'd have to say they saved their best performance for the final and, and it's ultimately a very comfortable scoreline. Yeah, it was a it was a champion's performance, really. I, I often think, Joe, that there's probably there's a human element of us all where there's we all secretly tap into that chip on our shoulder, even if it's it's slightly um, manufactured. So I, I don't know where they uh, as written off as maybe they interpret it there, but they absolutely look, I, weren't. I did like <laughs> honestly, got paranoia doesn't do it justice, and the amount of them saying, "Oh, we were written off by everybody." They weren't written off by anybody. But Joe, every team taps, I think every team secretly taps into that at some stage. I remember, you know, the the process obsessed team, the Jim Gavin's Dublin, which we all heard about. And then Paddy Andrews comes on the football show and says talking about the, their obsession with Mayo and the media loving with Mayo. Yeah. And I think every team taps into that. The team, I actually, for, for a couple of different reasons, I mean this in a, an absolute positive sense. Mm. This meets a team remind me a lot of the Donegal men team under Jim McGuinness. There's a lot of comparisons there. They actually, you know, I, I heard he told a, a story on Tomas O'Shea's podcast recently that um, he held up a newspaper article when they were rated something like the 27th team in Ireland. And again, you know, tapping into that chip in the shoulder mentality, even just the way, you know, you mentioned their performance there, the way they are coached, I have to say, is is just so impressive. Um, now, if, if the team goes out and mirrors them, the same way that happened to McGuinness's Donegal, if the team goes out and mirrors them, it probably isn't the best um, spectacle. We, we put that in the intriguing bracket. But mm. if if a team comes out and like Kerry does and tries to press high and you can style to make fights, I just think that they they're such an extremely well coached team. You look at the way they approach the the kick out. You know this this that was a twelve man zone press. We would have given a lot of praise to Kerry for doing that to when they broke looks in that time. Um, you look at the way they you know I think their their third goal from that kick out. That's three passes. No player makes a, a play. You know there's no delay whatsoever. That's a kick pass, a hand pass, a hand pass, and even sort of a goal. Their, their first goal again is comes from a throw in, but. You know, you talk about the manipulation, manipulation of space and the way some teams have started to approach. You know, Rory Gallagher's Derry have five men on the inside line now. There's been a lot of talk about that this year. Dublin did this thing with a three-pronged kind of attack on the edge of the D. I'm pretty sure Meath had only one player in the 45 for that, but for, for an attack. But it's yeah. just creating space for, for Emma Troy. So I think they are... Um, there is a phenomenally well-coached team and yeah. that was that was the champion's performance. I definitely take the Donegal comparison for sure. Uh, the blanket defence makes things very difficult for any opposition and, and it's telling that Kerry, who had scored all these goals in advance of the final, couldn't really make a breakthrough aside from uh, the goal that we mentioned to Monica the Lob, which really, let's be honest, was it was an effort at a point. So, you, you you know, you chalk that up as bad luck as much as anything. So they, they stifled Kerry at one end. On that goal that you mentioned, and again, this was um, the Donegal comparison when Donegal in 2012 had players flooding forward and great running yeah. ability. I did watch it though and I did think to myself this is unbelievably naive on Kerry's part. I, like, So for people who didn't see the game Kerry had this tactic of kickouts, which you know in and of itself uh, had a chance of working. They, they had lots of players in a certain part of midfield and they'd, they'd sprint to one side of the pitch and create an overload and try and win the ball. But if you if you look at the kickout which led to the Meath goal what they have is a very, very populated midfield. Kerry have virtually no players back defending. So, in effect, it's the ultimate tightrope act. If they don't win that ball in midfield and Meath catch it and get a run, there's no one at home. 
And I, I like it just seemed like a crazy way to set up to me because really, I, you know, as much as you want to populate midfield, you're not going to win every kick out. And with that running ability that Mead have, like Kerry just looked so vulnerable at the moment they didn't win the kick out and, and so approved in that goal, which was kind of decisive in some ways. So I, don't, I think Kerry management really have to think about the way they set up for some of those kick outs. But I, so I think that kick out is nearly a guarantee of possession almost 99% of the time. The, what you're talking about is the bunch and break. You know, I, a lot of teams use this. This is kind of, yeah. a coach has come in and it's, uh, you know, this is one-on-one. You, you, all, you get a, a big bunch and they split, split all sides. And in an ideal sense, especially when me, the pressing zonal, the, the worst case scenario is one player just stands there, you know, because if they're, if they're on a zonal press and one player just stands in the middle, they're probably going to be in space. Mm. Now, the problem is that the kickout needs to be a dart. Like it needs, it needs to be right in your chest. And uh, unfortunately, this this wasn't. There was floated kind of high. Uh, it was kind of one of those loopy kickouts that, uh, as you mentioned, you lose. And then suddenly, in an ideal sense, um, you know, not that I would uh, encourage this whatsoever, Joe, but in an ideal sense, as soon as you lose that ball, you should probably foul. Yes. You should, you, yes. You should, yeah. So, and and that probably just takes a bit of uh, a bit of well, what what do you want to call it a bit of game smarts, and suddenly then you've 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 died for that. There was a moment I don't know if you remember in the. Uh, Kerry Murphy kicked the point under the Cusack stand side. She was running up the side, but mm. uh, Kerry were breaking up the field, and there, there was actually there was they had caught this. This was a typical situation where Mead had floated forward, but then they turned over the ball, and they're actually caught for once on the wrong side of the ball. They didn't have numbers back, and there was a chance for Kerry to go. And suddenly, you know, in your in your head, you're probably thinking, "Is there a goal on here?" And Vicky Wall is very very tactically fouls in the halfway line. It wasn't a you know, I know she ran into some trouble at the very end of the game with fouls, but this wasn't a, this was just a slight little tug. It was a foul and a half a line, a slight momentum, and you can filter players behind the ball. Now, they conceded a point, but it probably was just a bit of, that's the, that's the level of coaching. I probably think that's a slight evolution in teams as well, that they develop those, those game smarts, and it, it probably just comes with experience, really. There were amazingly interesting comments from the Mead manager, Eamon Murray, after the game. And this is in light of Vicky Wall, who is, you know, outstanding and just stands out a yeah. mile. And you can see, you know, it didn't take the smartest of uh, Australian scouts to say she'll do a job, no problem for us. And Orla Lally is going as well. So they're going to Australia. And Eamon Murray is undecided, it seems, but certainly some of his backroom team are going and, and may well be part of Colin O'Rourke's backroom team next year, which is interesting. But he had a line which just jumped out to me as so striking. He said, uh, losing players, so the likes of Wall and Lally, he said, losing players, you're probably good enough as a team to win three or four in a row, but we won't. We'll worry about that next week. I thought it was amazing that he said, we won't. I mean, most managers, whatever they think privately, would not come out and say publicly, we're not going to win it. They would say, well, we'll do our best. We'll be there, thereabouts. There's more talent coming through. It seemed like there was this real sense, uh, on his part anyway, of like, once we lose the likes of Vicky Wall and, and Lally, we're not winning a third in a row. I thought it was an amazingly honest comment, surprising comment to make publicly. Uh, yeah, uh, incredibly honest, as you mentioned. I also think it probably demonstrates the, you know, Obviously, Eamon Murray kind of attracted a bit of heat for his comments initially when he commented on, but this was before the news being affirmed that uh, Vicky was going to go, but he passed some comments about her loss and the reason she's going and the sport, the AFLW as a whole, um, and his thoughts on that. And I probably think this is puts those more so in context, just the sheer devastation that they feel at her uh, leaving. Just on the first part of your question, mm. uh, Joe, as well, I know you, know you watch her now when you look at this, elite athlete running around Crow Park and think how you know, if, did this is very obvious for an AFLW club to swoop in you'd be surprised like, you would genuinely be surprised at how it took this long like, like Vicky Wall went to a combine in Melbourne in 2019 she there was vision I mean she was you know looking for an, a, a move I would say 
for a couple of seasons now and there was clubs not biting there was and then suddenly she wins an All-Ireland last year and that's the headline grab and they start to swoop in after that but the, a lot of the clubs who reacted at the All-Ireland final stage last year were too late because the one club that showed interest from a long way out was was obviously North Melbourne and the other one was um, was a club based in Western Australia but a lot of clubs probably weren't as clued into her ability as maybe they should have been and I also just think that it just goes to show the you know she like you know I mean this with the greatest amount of respect she was a different athlete then like the, the yeah. improvement in her in the last two years has been absolutely phenomenal and I do think there was there's probably an element of whether it is Vicky Wall or not there's a, probably is an element where you look at a player like her and the uh, I don't know if you you got that sense for the second goal where there was just a rise of anticipation as she was driving to the middle. You could see, you can nearly hear the the clatter of terraces, people getting off their feet, that kind of sense of a crowd uh, buzzing as soon as she broke with the ball. And to see whatever about the definition of tackles, to see players penalised when they actually have the ball in their hands. This is a, a wider conversation, I know, yeah. but it probably is something that that's a spectacle we want to see in the sport. Whether it's Vicky Wall doing it or anybody else, and yeah. I probably think that's something that it's a takeaway for me definitely from that final that we sh- we need to maybe address that slightly. Well, Camogie did a couple of years ago. They allowed more physicality at the behest of the players. And I think football, women, ladies football, maybe it'll, it'll go that way. On the AFLW situation, so uh, Wall and Lally of me, they're going. Amy Mulholland is uh, left for non-football reasons 2020. Blaine Mackin, Eric O'Shea, Anya McDonough. I think I think we're, we're over 20 now, Irish players. 21, yeah. 21, yeah, in the AFLW. And I suppose, you know, your point about Vicky Wall is interesting in that a lot of the players now could say to themselves, well, if I get myself really in shape here, there's every chance I'll go. And the AFLW, the the move to professionalism has gone very well and they're expanding uh, to 18 teams, it seems. And I think Cora Staunton was making the point that increasingly playing both won't be a possibility the way the the seasons will go. So uh, this threat, if you want to call it that, is, is very real for the women's game here. Is there is there cause to be overly concerned? I mean, it's it's disappointing, obviously, to lose the the, the best players, but you you kind of wish them well, and you say, well, look, life is for living, and there'll be more players behind them to replace them, and we'll still have a, a vibrant game here. Or, or do you sense from the the ladies' game that this is seen as a real problem and a real threat? Uh, you you might humour me here for a second, yeah. Joe. Like I, I heard, you know, th- so there is obviously there is um, some critics of this. I heard uh, Anthony talk on OTB AM this morning about this. I thought that was very interesting. I have to say, I I, I didn't catch be... I didn't catch what he had to say. Actually, so maybe tell me and the listeners. So there was there was his criticism was that uh, you know you've got a, a burgeoning sport, a sport that's developing at a rapid pace. You've got over forty five thousand people in at a non Ireland final, and now you're essentially gutting the best talents to bring them to Australia yeah. um, to, to a sport that is still developing. The, I think he made the point about, you know, the money isn't necessarily that great. This, this, I think there are all there, he made the point, the All-Ireland final attendance versus the grand final attendance this year. Um, the grand final this year, had, I, I believe he said 21,000. Now, as my understanding, that was that was COVID influenced, uh, to be honest. So I, I don't necessarily know does that comparison stack up. I would just make the, the point, and I, I fully appreciate why there is, um, you know, there are people are fully entitled to see Vicky, be disappointed to see Vicky Wall oh, yeah. leaving to go to Australia. But you know, you know, you mentioned players there, for example, like Amy Mulholland. It, you know, are, are twenty-one players are they all really a loss to ladies' football? Like Amy Mulholland would, would have gone anyway. She moved to Perth for non-football reasons. Yeah. that's a remarkable story. Like she, she went to play local. This is you know, in Saturday morning in footy in the park type of stuff and managed to go from there and build her way up to the WAFLW which is the, the second tier of the reserve league impressed there and now entered the draft and got drafted by a club but she's not a loss to uh, ladies football you mentioned Cork Stanton you know for her own reasons she wasn't going to be playing with Mayo Breed Zach wasn't going to be playing with Cork um, 
Aidan Gilroy, as far as I remember, Aidan Gilroy had opted out for Mayo in her last year because of her commute from Wexford. Uh, Anya McDonough was not involved with Galway last year. She was playing basketball with NUOG Mystics. So she's not really a loss for ladies football. Now, there are some players who are uh, a loss. I don't know how much more longer that will last because essentially, Joe, there's been a new CBA this year and a collective bargaining agreement and the sport is moving rapidly towards full professionalism and you're going to see two, three-year contracts but simultaneous with that you've seen a lot of investment in academies so now we have a production line of players mm. who there was a need to look externally because like let's be honest this talent was spread very, very finely uh, for the last couple of seasons within Australia that's no longer the case anymore I would also I know this isn't going to this isn't going to grab money headlines and it's not the most... Uh, but I, I think this stuff is nuanced. You know, I, some players are definitely there for money. I would counter Anthony on that. You know, there's, they weren't there originally, but there's... You know, in, under this new CBA, there's been... There's, you know, uh, there's now scope for players to be played, you know, upwards of six figures for a, uh, for a half season, you know, for a half-year season. And Irish players, you know, I, I, it's my understanding there's, there's a couple of Irish players now in that bracket. Other players are just there because of life experiences. I spent the last two years in Australia, Joe. I can assure you there was no AFL clubs interested in me. I find it difficult enough to get junior get a football teams to have a look at me. But I went there for the, for the life experience. I, you look at the men's game right now, we, we're missing top-end talent. You know, I, I'm not saying these are the best players in the country, but they'd be close. You know, mm. I look at Jack McCaffrey, I look at Paul Mannion, uh, I look at Peter Cook in Galway, I look at Michael Quinn-Livin, Caelan Mooney. For all their own reasons, they decided not to play football this year because they have lives outside of this stuff. They want to see yeah. the world, they want to have other experiences. So I, I, I just don't, I think, I think it might be a tad overplayed, to be honest. Yeah, no, it's a fair point. And I see that it's interesting. The average salaries across the 18 clubs have jumped 94%. See, it's a, it's a really burgeoning, growing professional situation and that was so. in a year Joe and yeah. there's a new CBA at the end of this year so yeah, that's going to okay. that's going to grow again yeah. 94% so the average salary had been 23,000 Australian dollars it's suddenly up to 46,000 and then as you said players on tier 1 contracts up to kind of 71,000 territory so you throw that in full time professionalism the sunshine I guess um it's a, it's, an, it's a weird conversation to have because it doesn't reach a conclusion whereby you can say, well, we need to ban it happening. I mean, what are you going to do? <laughs> like, the, you know, the, it's just a phenomenon. And I guess we observe it and we see how popular the move becomes. And maybe it gets to a point where it, it starts feeling increasingly uneasy or maybe it levels off. I guess um, in part, not to make too um, clunky a segue, the Shane Walsh situation is kind of in that sphere as well. So Shane Walsh, uh, stunning All-Ireland performance is moving from his home club in Galway, Kilcarran, Clonburn, and he is joining Dublin uh, Giants, I guess, Kilmacud Croaks, and he has made the point that he's 29. He lives in Dublin, he is studying in Dublin, and trekking up and down to Galway is taking its toll. And, um, you know, may or may, or well not, uh, may, or may well move back to Galway and, and, and resume with his, his club um, post-studies. And his club came out and talked about doing everything they possibly could to uh, stop the move. I'm not, I'm not sure if they've objected or, or launched an appeal with the GA to, to stop the move. Um, I, I, I don't know on what grounds they can do that. Like Shane Walsh clearly is living in Dublin. And to me, his reasons seem perfectly fair. I, it's, it's the, the kind of ire directed at, I guess, Walsh or Kilmacud seems to be almost a fear of this becoming increasingly the done thing. But then again, this has been the done thing for a long time and there's never been that avalanche. Yeah, exactly. And uh, to be honest, Joe, I think this is Shane is just unlucky that he got caught in the the perfect storm in that 
Um, we now have a split season has been as much discussed. So this is naturally after an Ireland final, it becomes out. It's going to be headline news. It's going to be give us a lot of talking points. It's also the fact that coming after an Ireland final, you know, an arguably man of the match performance in an Ireland final. Um, this was rumoured months ago. There was a lot of talk about this. I, I imagine if it came out the time, there probably wouldn't have been as much fallout. But it's just the fact that it come, came when it did. And also then on top of all of that, you go into the the rural versus urban divide and Clare and Clonburn, who are a, a very small intermediate club here in Galway versus. Uh, Kilmacud clubs where uh, you know if we're going to have GA super clubs they'd probably fall into that bracket um, my, I, I've had a lot of debates here locally in Galway with people about this I nearly think you actually the more removed from the GA you, you are the more kind of sane a reaction you have to it there are definitely people who think you know he's he's done it for the last 10 months commuted from Dublin to Galway that is why can't he do the same thing for two months for his club um, I personally think if you're working and living in Dublin you should be entitled to you know, play football in Dublin. We're talking about an amateur sport here. There's no ownership over anybody. I fully appreciate that Clare and Conburn were the making of Shane Walsh, but Shane Walsh has been very good to his club too. Uh, you know, before Northern Ireland semi-final this year, he was at his club at a cool camp. Um, you know, this I'm talking about the day before he played yeah. in Ireland semi-final. You heard about other players locking themselves away. In 2020, Joe, his performances that year as they went on a promotion push were, were sensational. You know, absolutely. I, I remember there was back-to-back games they played uh, Killeran in uh, around July of 2020 he kicked one eleven of 114 yeah. a, a week later they played at the Iron Islands he kicked 8 of 9 points in the second half so th- th- he's been good for them they've been good to him I, I personally think those, some of those comments were um, were over the top particularly stuff about a, a death in the area I think that's just like that's nonsense really that's, it, it, we're talking about an amateur player deciding to play football for a few years yeah, somewhere else it like, seemed a bit OTT so uh, some of the comments coming from the uh, Kilcarran chief Ian Hines he was saying we tried to persuade him not to this is them trying to persuade Shane Walsh but he said his mind was made up we're not going to let him go without a fight absolutely no way we've only seven or eight hundred members in the club and it's just rural Ireland against Dublin again it's just not on I mean like it's not rural Ireland against Dublin it's one player very understandably saying I study in Dublin I live in Dublin it's a long drive up and down all the time I love my club but like come on I can't keep doing this I'm 30 years of age now like all very, very valid reasons. But, uh, you know, the the club chief went on to say, the village is like a morgue today. It's a death in the family. People are just devastated. But look, we're going to fight it. End of story. What does he mean when he says fight it? What grounds do they have to fight it? Can they just well, object it, to this and, it, and it's stuck in, in, in um, limbo forever? No, no, they can lodge an appeal and uh, then Shane has to go, I think one representative of uh, the club he wants to transfer to Kilmacourt and explains his reasons for, for the move. I think there are, you know, there, there are some legal grounds for, uh, uh, it was my understanding that for a while, if you were, if it was based on a, if you were based somewhere purely to study, you actually couldn't transfer to a club there. But right. Shane lives in, in, in Dublin. Um, he worked in a bank up until this year. I think then he, he transferred to, to go back to as far as I know to be a PE teacher. I, it's, I think, Joe, as well, uh, you know, you, you probably do have ambitions to play at the highest level of football all the time. And, you know, the, for example, Shane Walsh wasn't eligible to play Sigerson club uh, Sigerson football this year. Hibernia, obviously, he's the college he's studying and don't have a team. I think he, he looked into avenues to play elsewhere they weren't available to him so you probably want to test yourself at a higher level too he, he has made the point in his own he they released a statement from um from Paul Byrne over the weekend he made the point himself that he will return to play for his club this is not a, a permanent thing this is just what he's based in Dublin so well he's he not going to return if they keep going on like this I mean this just seems like, <laughs> this seems crazy stuff this is OTT this is just a normal well he's not normal he's far from but it's, it's just an amateur and you're like over our dead body you leave like Perfectly entitled to play with whatever club he wants to. Like, I mean, it's a this, but this again with the the 
female players going to the Australian Women's League. It's almost like, it, yes, the club are upset, but it also speaks to this fear, I suspect, that's across all rural clubs. Because I'm amazed this doesn't happen more. Yeah, and I think it's nearly, there's, there's probably, um, there's an element of ownership over, I think, not, and this is not unique to rural Ireland, I'm just talking about GA clubs in general. There's an element of ownership that you, we, you kind of owe it to us to, you know, I would know of players who are criticised for not flying home from Europe to play for their clubs. Like that, that, that's, that goes on mm. locally within Gaul. I know of players who decided to go to America and would get very heavily local criticism because they missed out on a championship game because they, again, there's this general idea that they owe to their clubs. And this kind of, I know, this doesn't make very good radioing when, you know, I'm here agreeing with everything you're saying and you're agreeing with me. But this feeds back to my point about the, the idea that if you're removed from this, if you were looking at this not through the lens of the died in the wood gales, GA club is the, the heart of my community, you totally understand the reasons or the motivation for somebody to want to take this opportunity. But it's suddenly that you're probably looking through it through coloured lens and you start to feed into this idea that, no, you know, he, he owes it to us to be here to, to help us go up to senior football. I, I would say if you maybe give this a bit of time, I wonder would his reaction be similar? They seem like very emotive comments. Uh, as I mentioned, this was rumoured months ago. I wonder would Shane Washington are even better off putting this to bed before, because it's easy to that in hindsight, but before a, a sensational Ireland performance and is there the same fallout? You know, is there the same manner of discussion? I highly doubt it. As you mentioned, these transfers happen all the time. They happen within counties. We, we've had situations here in Galway of very high profile situations of players transferring from one club to the other. Uh, and it happens obviously all the time when you're people living and working in Dublin. So, mm. I fully appreciate why you'd be, again, this goes back to the Vicky Wall situation. You're absolutely entitled to be disappointed about seeing them go, but you probably should be able to understand, at least appreciate their motivation for doing so. Interesting times. Morris Brosnan of the 42. Cheers, Morris. Thanks, Mill. Thanks, Winning Joe.